But that's that mentoring experience. And that's what podcasts and that's what we hope our podcast become for people is an opportunity to to almost like a masterclass situation. Because uh, there are teachers out there who, who are rock starring, uh, who understand what it takes to do what we do. But nobody knows who they are. Nobody's heard their voice. No one's, no one's, you know, there's not a camera in every teacher's room capturing all these moments and, and putting them in a file. And you may have never experienced it, and then you may listen to it on a podcast, and then all of a sudden you experience it, and it's like, oh, I remember them saying, okay, this is how you, okay, got it. And even though it may be like, no, nah, I can't do that, but it gives me an idea. It sparks an idea in my mind of what I can do. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Value Adds Value. My name is Kyle Krieger. Unfortunately, my guy, Wilkie V-Law, will not be joining us for this episode because he had an unexpected professional development come up. But I am thrilled to have our guest on the podcast this week, who I have a surprising amount of connections with, even though I met him online two months ago. Our guy, Joe Beckman. Joe, what's going on? What's up, my friend? How are you? I'm excellent. So we connected through the Men in Education group. Yep. Um, started by Hal and, and all of those things, but I am so shocked that you know the name of the tiniest, tiny town in Wisconsin, Cumberland, and you have several people that you're connected to in Cumberland. Cumberland, Wisconsin, in so many ways, is like that place in my mind that has so many happy memories from a kid. Um, we had a very good friend who had a cabin in Cumberland, and so yeah. I was like the third wheel in that family all the time, right. and so every weekend in the summer or like every other weekend, I would be up in Cumberland and we'd be playing tennis on the tennis courts in the high school. We'd go to the movies. And I remember they had like the double seat. So if you were yep. there with a date, you didn't even yep. have that armrest. Uh -huh. I was always like, man, when I get 13, this is where I'm taking my first, yes. you know, and mm -hmm. Sammy's pizza and all yep. that cool stuff. So wow. yeah, Cumberland has got a very special place in my heart for yeah. those, uh, those early childhood memories, right? Those were when, we were, I mean, a lot of what I talk about is human connection. And that's like the definition of it to me is when we were in Cumberland at that cabin, you know, with each other, like not on a screen, all of that. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. I think there's a, a real reason it brings, you know, such fond memories because connection was so strong then, you know? Yeah. You know, and I'm, and I'm sure thinking about it at some point in our, in our real lives, we've crossed paths. I bet we've crossed paths a bunch of times. Totally. Don't you think that like, I honestly, sometimes will stop and be like, wow, that is just weird to think that you and I have shared space together, walked by each other. Maybe you opened a door for me or maybe I, you know, whatever. Yeah. And yeah. uh, it just, it's really interesting to, to know. And then I kind of want to like, I would love to like have the drone footage of what that interaction was like. Was there a connection? Yeah. Did we, you know what I mean? Like, so yeah. I don't know. You I know, and cool. it's, and it's so funny. Cause like you say, my first job was at Sammy's. Like that was, that's crazy. That was my first job. And, and, you know, being out on the lake, I mean, and it's so funny. You talk about connection to with, I mean, cause my, I, I didn't have a phone until I got to college and I didn't even really like, I was towards the end of college when I started taking my phone with me everywhere. Like my really? first couple of years, my first couple of years of college, I didn't even take my phone with me. It was more of just That's like a, a landline phone that sat in my bedroom, but oh no, great, 
great times. I love I love that connection. But I'm always and maybe I shouldn't be surprised how many people know what Cumberland is at have been there, know where it is. It's it's always so surprising to me how many people know where it is. Yeah, I, it kind of has, I don't know, maybe it's just like the place everybody has to drive through to get to it the is. other place or whatever. And you're yeah. like, yeah, I know Cumberland. Or yeah. maybe it's because it's got a cool name or whatever it is. Yeah. But yeah. All right. So to it's get a popular place. Yeah, I, yeah, for sure. Um, so to get our listeners started, could you just tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into the education field? Yeah. So I was an athlete growing up in grade school and middle school and high school. I was the youngest of three. And ever since I was little, I had a football, a basketball or a baseball in my hand and I was pretty good. And uh, I had big dreams of varsity football with the Saturday or Friday night lights, right? That sort of thing and setting records and state championships. And I was kind of on pace to kind of be that guy. Um, And then in ninth grade, I suffered a back injury. um, And I was told that contact sports were in essence, no longer really going to be a possibility. And I was devastated and like punched in the stomach sort of thing. And for a year, I mean, it was my whole identity, right? So you're in high school and you think your worth and your value is based on this one thing that everybody loves you for. And then that thing is taken away. And you're like, whoa, like, who am I then? You know, it was just like this year of like really trying to figure things out. And uh, I was stuck and pretty low and questioning lots of things. And my sophomore year, a year after this injury, I'm sitting in my English class second hour when Wendy Shorthaze walks in and she's a, she's a teacher that teaches theater and is the director of the plays. And she starts talking about the upcoming musical. And I was like, wait a second. I kind of have always wanted to do something like this, but I've never had the opportunity because it's been sports. Maybe I should give this a, give this a shot. And it was like the devil and the angel on the shoulder, like you should do this. And the other one was like, you're going to suck. You're going to fail. What are your parents going to say? You're going to be judged by your friends. You know, you're a jock, not a theater kid. And it was back and forth and back and forth. And uh, I listened to the, the angel, I guess. And I went, you know what? Um, whether this is a good decision or the dumbest decision of my life, I'm going to audition for this play. And I got there and I remember she, I, I read from the play and I was like walking out and she's like, that's great. What's your song? And I was like, excuse me. And she's like, yeah, this is a musical. What's your song? And I was like, I do not have a song. I am sorry. I did not get that far in the audition process. And she's like, well, you have to sing something. So I sat on a stage and I sang Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star as hard, loud as I possibly could. And uh, lo and behold, I got a part and I got in that play. And the first moment I stepped on that stage, I'm telling you, Kyle, like it was like a light bulb went off and I went, whoa, wait a second. Fields, courts, baseball diamonds, all that is great. And it's where I've always been, but this feels different and this feels good too. And so I continued to do theater. And then my senior year, I had the clearing to try out again for football. I could play football or do theater. I couldn't do both because they were going on at the same time. And so I chose theater and it was what I did all through college. It was my major. And it's what I've been doing for about 20 years since then, not as a speaker now so much because I'm not acting, but I am, you know, obviously performing mm-hmm. and using a lot of the same skills yeah. that I learned um, in that major, but um, it's, yeah, performing has been just kind of what I've done ever since. And 
Um, and now I'm speaking. And for the last five years, I have started my own company, my own speaking brand, and I speak all over the United States. And now I can say I speak all over the world um, because I've spoken into a couple places out of the United States at this point. And so it's been a really, really cool, cool journey. Hmm. So our mission with the podcast is to, you know, bring value back to our profession and, and help teachers become what, you know, kids deserve. So when you hear that phrase, the teacher kids deserve, what comes to mind for you? What comes to mind for me is Mr. Westlake. Mr. Westlake was my senior year physics teacher. I was a senior, Kyle. I had no business taking physics. And the only reason I took physics is because of Mr. Westlake. Um, he had this energy that everyone wanted to be around. It was like he wanted to be around us, which in turn made us want to be around him. When I look back and we have this conversation, if you were to say, what's the one thing you learned academically in that physics class, I would look at you with a blank stare because I don't remember. But what I can tell you is that Mr. Westlake loved riding his motorcycle because every day he would talk about different things he would like highlights from his life. And one of the things he would always talk about was his motorcycle. And, and I knew Mr. Westlake loved talking about his former students because every day he would spend five minutes talking in this like monologue sort of format about stories from, you know, past students and what kind of impact they had. And he had this ability to be able just to stay connected to us. And so when I hear what's the kind of teacher that kids deserve, I think what kids deserve every single day is the teacher that's giving it their 100% best, who's showing up and really truly kind of like digging into not just the brain part of this work, but the heart part of this work. Because I believe that the, the stuff we teach kids brains, that's what's gonna change their lives. But that stuff's not getting to their brains unless we first connect with their hearts. And so I think the teacher that kids deserve are teachers who in their own way, because it's going to be different for everybody, take time to connect with kids' hearts, right? Because not everyone's going to be Mr. Westlake and not everyone's going to be Mr. Krieger and not everyone's going to be Mr. Beckman. Not everyone's going to have the same kind of energy or the same things that we have. Like Ms. Forbes was my geometry teacher. She did not tell monologues. She did not high five kids in the hallway. In fact, it would have been really weird if Miss Forbes did that. That wasn't her DNA. But Miss Forbes would take time at the beginning of class. We would be like working on like an assignment or something like by ourselves. And she would ask us questions kind of quietly, individually, like, how was your weekend on a scale of one to five? And what she was looking for was a she was looking for patterns, I'm sure, like looking back now. And if anybody had lots of ones or lots of twos week in and week out, she would learn about that. She would find out about that. And she would, you know, connect with that student on that. And it was Miss Forbes is interesting because I mean, my parents went through a divorce when I was a junior. And Miss Forbes was the one that came up to me and said, hey, I don't know exactly what you're going through. But uh, number one, it's not your fault. Number two, I have your back. And uh, I think that connection that she made with me was based on the small micro connections that she created in her class. And so what do kids need? I think kids need a teacher who is going to, you know, just show up and be their authentic selves every single day. And that doesn't mean you have to always knock it out of the park as a teacher and have the best day ever. But I think it's showing up that day 
as the best, most real, authentic version of yourself. And I think that's what kids connect most with. You know, it's so funny. We authenticity is something we talk about almost every episode. So in your in your travels working with with schools, how is there ways you re- can you recognize teachers being authentic? Can you recognize school cultures that value authenticity? Are there certain characteristics that you see? Because like you said, I'm, and to give you a backstory, I moved to Houston from Cumberland yeah. and had no idea where I was. And I got <laughs> told like, hey, this is a teacher that's doing really good work. Just copy what they're doing and you'll be fine. Yeah. But it totally wasn't who I was. Yeah. And it took me a long time to really get into understanding that if I showed up as myself, that was the most important thing. So are are there markers for you that you see that you're like, that's a super authentic person or this culture really values authenticity in a school? Yeah, for me, it's tricky because I don't get to spend a ton of time like in the classroom with a teacher and to see what's going on in the inner workings. I can tell you this, that it's pretty obvious the moment I step into a building what it feels like in that building. And the schools that thrive the most are the schools that the leadership allows their teachers, not just allows their teachers to be authentic, but gives them the permission to be authentic. You know what I mean? What if that same person would have said, hey, Kyle, this is the the definition of a great teacher. Um, And I want you to know that you can be just like him or her or you can do it your to- totally your way, your authentic way. What makes them great isn't their test scores. What makes them great is their authenticity. Go find your authenticity, right? I think leaders within, an, within a building, they forget that teachers in so many ways are just, they're looking for, in, in many ways, someone to tell them what to do. And, mm-hmm. and when you give them the permission to be real, be authentic, and you 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 give them the the opportunity to practice that. I think those that's those when I walk into a building and I can feel that sort of like the warmth or whatever. It's because I think leaders allow for authenticity to thrive within the classrooms. And the, just just the difference between allowing that you know those two words you you were allowing something and giving permission to something like. I think even just the difference in that, like if somebody allows you to be you, that's great. But if they're like actively like giving you permission, like, no, this is the path we want you to take. Cause I've been, I've been at schools where that was the case. Yeah. And I've been at schools where that was not, not the case at all. And as soon as you fell out of line, like there was not just one person letting you know, there were multiple people letting you know that you had kind of upset the apple cart. So yeah. Yeah, it's it's just it's super interesting, especially so coming back around though to the work that you do, what when you're what does connection look like for you, whether it's in a classroom or in schools? Because I know you told a little bit about your story, but but what are you seeing from your travels and what do you what do you work with teachers and schools on when it comes to just that word connection? What I'm seeing, quite honestly, is teachers and educators in general who are starving for this stuff. It's not something that's taught in schools. It's not something that's taught through the education system. And it seems like deep down intuitively, they all know the importance of connection. And again, it's just this idea of giving them the permission to make it something that thrives in their classroom. 
Um, and so I see a lot of teachers who sort of intuitively know that that's where they want to kind of go with their, their teaching style or delivery, whatever it may be. Um, but sometimes they just need that, that extra push. Uh, and so that's what I do in, in many ways is I get, I think people in order to connect with others, it's important that they connect with themselves too. And so in my talks and in my programming, when I'm working with teachers, I talk a lot about reminding them why they got into this profession and, you know, um, and then giving them the tools of, you know, a connection that they can apply, you know, in their classroom or after school or whatever it may be. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I try to focus on, you know, connection with self. And once we got that, then we can start moving towards connection with, with others. What, what do you, what is the importance of, of connecting to the self before you try to connect with other people? Well, it's, it goes back to this authenticity thing, right? Like if you're going to be truly your most authentic self, then you better know what that, that self is all about. Like I do a, an activity where I call it, I stand for this. And it's a values identifying activity and it's super low risk. It's super easy. Um, if any of your listeners or whoever want the, I have it, we have like a, uh, we have like a PDF and everything that I could send out so we can leave it in the show notes or whatever. Um, but basically it, it starts off with a list of about 60 values and through the, at, throughout the, uh, the, the whole activity, you whittle down to your top three values and then you write it down on a card and you have it there and what i talk to teachers about is listen keep these put these in a place where you can see it why because life gets busy plates get spinning we get pulled in all of these different directions and it can be really really easy to forget what we value and what we stand for and yet what we know is that we are our happiest, most content, fulfilled selves as a human when we are acting in line with our values, right? So right. for instance, family is a huge value for me. I have three kids, a wife. I, I want to, obviously, as a dad, I want to raise a strong, united family. And uh, that's a value. But there are times where I'm completely checked out. I'm on my screen or I'm doing work or they're talking and I'm acting like I'm listening, but I'm not. And a little bit of that, no big deal. A lot of that, I start feeling off and then I start getting crabby in other areas and I start slipping, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so um, the, the reason it's important is because when we act in line with our values and when we know what our values are, um, we can, you know, be the best versions of our, of ourselves. And we, yeah. Um, the, that part of it, like when we want to really authentically connect with others, it starts with knowing who we are at our core and, uh, and living in line with that. So we were talking just a little bit before hitting record about how your, how your work, um, which up until March has primarily been an in-person public speaker with teachers and students, how, yeah. how it's changed over the last six or seven months. Um, so how do you think, maybe not how do you think connection has changed, but what advice are you, would you give to teachers right now who you are in contact with about how to maintain those connections and build those connections virtually? Because I don't know many teachers that are not doing virtual to some extent right yeah. now. So, so how do you build those connections across the virtual space? I would say first and foremost, 
you have to see connections for what they are. And connection to me isn't one more thing on a busy plate. It's the plate. It's the plate that holds everything on. So if you look at connection as another thing that you have to just, a box you have to check, then it's gonna always be the thing that gets to last and it's not gonna happen. But if you see it as the foundation to everything else that you do, then you're gonna make it important and you're gonna dig deep. I would say to educators who are like, well, how do I do connection in a virtual sort of way? Dig deep, go to your resources, think about it. Like you are, like it's there, you gotta like, push yourself towards it. You know, sometimes teachers, I, I feel like they just want to be given the answers. And I think part of it is how the system is set up and how they've gone through. They've been given the answers all this way. And so it's something that they're used to, but I'll challenge teachers. Like, listen, like if this was a, like, if we challenged you to come up with a uh, math, let's say math was something that, you know, um, was something that there was a challenge or whatever, we wouldn't ever just stop doing math. When we ever say like, well, how do I do it? We come up with a way to still teach math because it's critical and it's essential for all the other learning that kids do um, in a certain space in education. And I think the same applies to connection. We have to see it as something that is completely necessary. And so what I say to teachers is more than ever, connection is important. If you spent two minutes in connection pre-COVID, I want you to spend six minutes post-COVID because kids without the real human connection of sitting in a space and just having people in front of them, things that we are wired and that we need as a human to be around others, um, they're missing that. And so we almost have to like, if there was a deficiency in some area, again, use math, we would take more time so that the kids would understand, learn, and be able to apply math if they were deficient. And I think right now we're in a connection deficiency in that we are not in connection with each other and we are remote. And there's all these things that, um, all these hurdles that are coming in front of connection. And yet what I know is we have to jump over those hurdles because connection is the foundation that all of this is built on. Yeah, you know, and, and what you said there, like after just five weeks, I can feel myself how much I've let connection slide, how much I set out this year that I was gonna email you know, five kids a day, or I was going to do those things and everything pops up and things get crazy. And, oh, it, it, I, I love the analogy that connection is the plate. It's that everything else sits on. I think that's, I think that's amazing. I've never heard it said that way. That's it. It makes so much more sense to me. Yeah. And, and I would say this, um, I just got done saying, you got to do it. You got to dig deep. Don't give me any excuses at the same time. It's really hard. Human connection is not, not easy. And I totally understand that it's not everybody's go-to thing. Um, and so I don't want to like sugarcoat it and, and, and not act as if you don't have a plate that's completely full and like, I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. And yet it's at the same time, what I, again, this is a leadership and administration thing. I would say to leaders, make sure your educators know that what's more important than the comma, the colon, or the exclamation point at the end of the sentence is the five minutes of connection that you have instead of that. You know what I mean? Like the content, the academic stuff, that will come. We will get to those things, but we can't lose connection in the process. And so, yeah, 
I just think leaders need and administrators really need to allow that to be something that um, that they push their teachers in and that they they allow and give permission, you know, for them to spend time in that space. So, so when you're working with a school or a district or a teacher, what are what are the pillars? What are your cornerstones when it comes to creating culture? Because I think it's 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 another one of those things like connection where everyone knows the value of it, but yeah. it doesn't on a wide scale get prioritized. Yeah, and I think if it's the same thing. I think leadership is huge because I right now I the charter I work at in Richfield the culture is unbelievable it's the greatest group of teachers i've ever worked with that are dedicated but the administration is the most receptive to what the teachers are seeing on the ground that i that i've ever been a part of yeah so when you talk about culture whether it's you know a school building culture or me building culture in our classroom what yeah. what are the cornerstones that you preach uh first off marathon not a sprint Right, culture is not something that you create in a day with a sheet of paper or a, one good speech um, on a stage. Uh, that that culture is something that it takes time to build. So get ready to dig in, roll up your sleeves, and do the work. And I believe culture, in order to really shift it, in order to really get it to the point, like I, we said, like when you walk into the building, you can just feel it. There's a culture here that is positive that is open that is you know receptive to ideas and creativity or whatever it may be i think it really does start at the foundational district level like for the last five years i come in and i do a talk and i give a high five and everybody's pumped and i leave and i'm like how much beyond the two weeks or the one month that afterwards i was there how much of a difference did that talk really, really make? And for some, it makes a big difference. Mm -hmm. But I think if we really want it, it's not going to shift a culture, right? Like it's going to it's going to motivate people and inspire people, which is great. But if you want to really shift a culture, that's going to take work at an administration level. That's sitting down and saying, hey, what are the most important pillars that you have as a school? And how do we get everybody on or as many people on board as possible? And 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 so that's a that's like starts off with a team of six or seven or eight. And then once we get everybody on board with that, hearing from different voices from people within the district, right? It cannot just be six to eight administrators that are in that room. We need to have a paraprofessional, we need to have a community member, we need to have maybe even a student. Like you need to have a small group within the district that shares their ideas because if we want community buy-in, everybody's got to be part of the at the table. And so now if I'm a paraprofessional and my boss or somebody who's in my sort of co-working team comes and tells me, hey, we're going to do this new initiative. I know it sounds kind of weird, but I was a part of the planning process. And let me tell you, the administration is, is going in this direction for a reason. Now, instead of 80% of the paraprofessionals questioning why we're doing this, they're going, okay, I can get on board with this. And it might not be perfect, right? But now you get the paraprofessionals on board, right? And now the paraprofessionals are going to then take whatever they learn and they're going to bring it down into their students. And they might say to their students, hey, I know this sounds kind of crazy, but you got to understand where we're going with this is in a, we're, they're thinking about this, we're going in the right direction. And now you're getting student buy-in, right? And so um, the culture shift it takes a long time. It takes a lot of buy-in. It takes different people and constituents throughout the district. 
But if you can get different voices to the table so they can share their ideas and their opinions on, because they're on the front lines, right? They're the ones who know exactly what these systems and initiatives that the superintendents or administrators are rolling out. They know what it's going to feel like if it doesn't work well or if it does work well. And so hearing from them and then getting their buy-in, man, how huge is that? Because you know what's going to happen is inevitably their positive energy is going to create more buy-in for their people and their constituents. And so um, I think real culture shift starts at the administration level, but it also, you know, includes different voices throughout the community so that, you know, you can create something that everybody is a part of. And I, and I, underestimate especially even with my classroom explaining kid to kids why they're doing something the rationale behind it even with challenging like what I want to introduce after Christmas for my eighth graders is a eighth grade thesis to give them an assignment they're going to see it as oh I've got to write this 10 page paper but if I mm -hmm. explain it to them step by step I think it's something that could really be beneficial and and that's the thing that I've noticed with the grade school cultures is there's always an, an explanation of the rationale, not just in the not as good school cultures I was in is this is what yeah. you're going to do. Yeah, I would even challenge you, Kyle, I think you could really set that up for the eighth graders and start. Stephen Covey talks about starting with the end in mind. Yeah. And so imagine you know, like you starting with that, and Matt, like what would be the results of them writing this 10 page thesis paper? Maybe they get better at writing. Maybe they get more confident in their skills. And maybe 10 years from now, because of this paper that they or this thesis that they wrote, they're now doing something that really connects back to the confidence that they learned. So if you start with like, imagine you're about to graduate, maybe the first in your family or um, uh, something that you never thought was possible. And you're standing on the stage and you're about to get your diploma. Like, how good would that feel? And oh, that feel great. Like, how do we get there? Well, I know we have this like 10 page paper, but like this is a cornerstone to get to that. So if you can get them to see what this 10 page thesis is going to help produce, I think, you know, there'd be a instead of like just step by step by step, but start with that end in mind, start with that product, that thing that they, you think that they, you know, strive for or dream for, and then, you know, kind of go backwards in the process. And then, you know, and that's why we're doing this thing. Right. That's a thesis that's going to feel like work, but ultimately it's going to produce this outcome that all of us want. Mm, I love that. Oh, I love that. I could spend all day with you, but I know you got stuff going on and I got stuff going on. So let's talk the new book. Just yeah. look it up. Check it out. Oh, you, no one can see it because this is an audio podcast, but I'm holding it up on the counter right now. So where where did it come from? Uh, where did the book come from? Well, Kyle, when a mommy book and a daddy book. And then a stork comes off comes yeah. your house and drops it. On drops your off 2,500 books. Actually did a, a semi truck. Uh, just a I bigger stork. Oh my gosh, I think it's I humongous. I was like, oh. why is there a semi-truck in my neighborhood right now? Oh. Um, so here's where this came from. This came from a talk that I gave in your lovely state, Wisconsin, in this little city called Sun Prairie, right outside of Madison. Yep. I don't know if you know it. Yep. But um, five years ago, when I stepped out on my own, um, I was looking for schools to hire me. And I sat by the phone and I waited and I waited. 
and I waited. Um, and finally, I got a call from a gentleman by the name of Ryan Ruggles. Uh, he was the principal at Sun Prairie Junior High, and he had informed me that the single hardest ninth grade class in the last 30 years were going through that system. And he said, hey, is there anything you can do um, to, to motivate them? And I said, yes, absolutely. And I hung up the phone and I went, oh crap, what am I gonna say to the hardest kids in 30 years that are going through Sun Prairie school system? And so I, uh, I put my head together and I came up with some thoughts and I called it three phrases. And it was three phrases I wish I would have heard when I was in high school, that would have helped make that journey just a little bit easier. And between you and I, that talk in Sun Prairie was probably like a C or a C minus. It wasn't that great, but it became great, right? Like I had to give C minus after C minus before I got a C, then it turned into a C plus. And then I started rearranging the stories and I started realizing that's the part that really connects. And then it turned into a B and then I added a different story. And so now it's sitting roughly at what I would call an A minus, uh, always room to grow, but it's been the backbone and the cornerstone of all the different high school speaking events that I've done. And I started sharing some of the same messages with teachers eventually and parents. And it was crazy because they would say, hey, that thing that you're doing for the high school kids, we sort of need to hear that too. Or I definitely needed to hear it when I was in high school. And so it was resonating and connecting with them. And so the thought of the book was how do we, if it's resonating and connecting with students and it's resonating and connecting with adults and I can only be on so many stages in any given week or any given year, how do we get this message out to as many people as possible? And so the book was a natural sort of extension of that. And so I started writing down the book version of that talk. And I added two more phrases to go along with it. So now uh, the book is called Just Look Up, Five Life-Saving Phrases Every Kid Slash Human Needs to Hear. And so, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's what I love about it, quite honestly, and it, it's small and it's, you know, um, it's super, super approachable. You know what I mean? It's a book that I could actually read because if you give me a, a book with lots of words and lots of chapters and no pictures, it's probably <laughs> going to stay on a shelf. Uh, and although there aren't any pictures in this book, it's short and sweet. The chapters are concise. It's broken up almost like I break up my talks and I tried to write it in my voice so you can almost hear me as you're reading it, which again, I think um, it makes it an approachable and an unintimidating, non-intimidating sort of book. So I'm super excited um, about the possibility for it. The like feedback so far has been really, really great. And so, yeah, it's just, uh, it's interesting, you know, as we were talking before the podcast started and I was telling you about some of the things we're doing as a business just to, you know, navigate through COVID. This is one of those ideas that we thought, let's try it and see what happens. And so now we're, now we got it to this point and it's, mm -hmm. it's going to release on October 20th and then perfect. perfect. So thousands of people. So we'll find out if, uh, if it's resonating as strongly as the talks do. Yeah. And that's perfect. And we're going to make sure that we drop this because the, the 20th is the two books drop on Tuesdays, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, I didn't know that I'm learning as I go, but yeah, yeah. I didn't realize that either. So we're going to drop this on the 19th. So, Oh, sweet. Before we before we ask you the final two questions, for people that want to check the book out, where can they go to find it? Yep. Uh, there's a, a, a website that we put together called Just Look Up Book. 
book.com. That's just look up book.com. And it shares almost, it's like the, the back page of a book on a web page. So it's much, it yeah. just breaks down what it is, where they can get it, who's it for, um, a little bit about me as the, as the author. Um, and so, yeah. And, and the cool part about the website is there'll be a lot of things, um, in the book that like pictures and, um, like, like PDFs and different things, tools that as a teacher you could use, we'll have those on our website as well as study guides as well. Uh, cause what we're finding is that there are schools that aren't buying one book, they're buying 40 or like a school in Seattle bought 90 for all of their staff and they're doing book studies with it. And so we're creating an adult educator book study that goes along with the book, uh, a student edu or a student book study that goes along with it and a bunch of other things. So the website's a great place for people to check out more information. Yeah, I've got, um, I'm going to say two things. First off, I know it's a ton more work. But I can promise you that if if at some point there's an audiobook, it'll be amazing. As somebody who only recently in the last couple of years got into audiobooks, like Dude, there are there. Oh, it's not even close. Of course yeah. I'm gonna do that. Because that's oh. my that's like what I do. Like, and there's yeah. so many audiobooks that you're like, I just want the author to read it. And yeah. like the one thing I do well in this world is talk. Like everything else is kind of like a C minus to a D, you know what I mean? Uh, and so it's like, why would I not use that? But here's the deal. We did the soft cover release in the fall. Mm -hmm. um, there's a whole story that goes along with it. We don't have time to get into it. But long story short is we're going to do two releases. The soft cover is kind of like a teacher or an educator exclusive release. We're going to be sending it out specifically to schools. Um, and then in March, we're going to do a hardcover version. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to kind of share it with the masses. And in that hardcover version, that's when we're going to do the audiobook. Mm, I love that. And I was cut. I can I can say as soon as it's available to me I I've got I my my advisory students so like my what a lot of people call homeroom is yep. a group of eighth graders that are um very intrinsically motivated very um well to do but they don't like that 20 minutes of time that we have to spend together every morning so I can tell you I can promise you I'm going to get the book and read it and I'm going to take some of those activities and and start working through it with them well it'll be really interesting to see I think we're, we're creating a middle school guide and well as well as a high school study guide too um, I'll be really interested to see what the feedback is from students on it um, and I also, it would be really interesting, you know, from you as a teacher, if you ever did a book study with the kids or if you had, you know, any of the, the lessons within your, within your classroom, I'd be super interested to, to see how it's, it's resonating. I personally think it's going to resonate strongly with, like, if, if the kids, like, connect with the live talk, I think they're going to really connect with the book. Um, but it's hard because people are like, what, who's it for? Teachers? Is it for students? Is it for parents? And it's kind of like, yes, and it's kind of for like all people. That's why I put kids slash human. It's like for all of us. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I think it's going to resonate strongly with kids, but I also think it's going to, you know, really resonate strongly with adults too. I love that. All right. So for people who want to just find you in general, for all the things you do, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's just joebeckman.com is, is the place to go. That's the best. Yeah. That's if they want to learn about me, if they want to learn about um, some of the work district level work that I'm doing in schools um, and our live speaking events that really go more towards like a culture shift. The website is uh, till T I L L three sixty 
till360consulting.com, till360consulting.com if they're interested in, in you yeah. know, doing doing any work with us the, on that level. And on, on the social medias, where can people find you? Generally, Joe underscore Beckman, but uh, my social media game was not strong when I first started this. So like, you know, you're like, you get one shot to get your like, your name on social media or your handle. Um, and so right. most of like Twitter, Instagram, um, YouTube, things like that. I think for the most part, it's Joe underscore Beckman, but uh, with a little bit of digging and a little bit of searching on Facebook and things like that, you'd be able to find me pretty quickly. Yeah. All right. So these are our two kind of wrap up questions that we like to ask everybody. Yes. So if we gave you the opportunity to have a billboard that every student would see on their educational journey, so they're on their educational journey and you knew that every student would see this billboard and, and take it to heart, what would that message be that you would want kids to know? I would want kids to know that the only way for them to figure out this thing called life is to try to step up and to take at bats. Like it would be something to do. Like I'm imagining like if I could something to do with baseball, cause that was my favorite sport and something to do with this idea of there's just no way you're ever going to hit a single, a double, a trip, whatever. If you don't strike out a few times first, right? Something along those lines. I just think it's so critical that we give kids opportunities to try as many things as they can and and really stumble and fail and screw up and mess up and allow that to be okay um i think you know there's so much that we hold back because we we fear perfection like we want perfection but perfection is so not the goal and i think there's so many people who get stuck in pursuit of perfection when really all they needed to have was a couple at bats and to to be able to get in there and just try um i think that's critical and so that'd be something along those lines i love it all right well first i appreciate the talk man i can't wait um you having with us you have an open platform anytime you want to come on and sweet uh, and and rap with us i definitely want to get you back on with wilkie just because i mean you 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 100 speak our language and i definitely am gonna make sure that I get the book and, and share it with my team. And especially I, like, I'm really excited to share it with that group of eighth grade kids because yeah. I mean, it was, you know, so you're, just between you and I right now, it's a little uh, inside talk. You're in Richfield, you said? Yeah. Okay. So I teach it. I teach at seven Hills prep Academy, which is right. I there. know seven Hills. Yeah, I know. It. Yeah. I, yeah. Well, I, I, before I moved out here, I lived in Richfield. So oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. very, very well. Uh, so anyhow, if there's an open invitation, for me on your platform, there will always be an open in invitation for me to pop in, whether virtually or live or however we'd want to do it um, with your students. Um, I so would, ever, I, would, I would love that. We'll do something like this. I do it all the time. Um, I call it the VCV's virtual classroom connection, VCV virtual vi classroom visit. That's what we called it. And so I'll, I'll pop in. We can talk about the book. Um, they can ask questions. We can just check yeah. in anything you want. Man. Yeah. I would love that. Uh, uh oh, oh. Looks, uh, looks like everybody's home. Yeah, children right. are home right now. So let's hit it. Last question. Yes. Down the road, long time, all the speeches are done. What is Joe Beckman's legacy going to be? My legacy is when people look back at the work that I did, my hope is that they don't remember a talk or a quote 
or even a story. My hope is that the legacy that I bring is that they, because of an interaction that either I had with them or something they saw for me, that they were made to feel important and special. Like that's my goal in this. Like anytime I get feedback from someone from a, a program or a testimonial, like it's always great to get that. But the ones that really mean the most are the ones that come from people that said, you just made me feel important. You made me feel seen and maybe for a little bit understood. And I think that's what all of us really want. We want to feel like we're part of something. We want to feel seen. We want to feel understood. We want to feel like we bring something valuable to the table. And so often we just need people to see that. And so I try as much as I can to make micro connections throughout the day with people just to raise, like to, for them to say that they, they saw, whether that's a stranger on the street or, you know, a family member that is part of my life or I want to make them feel special. And so that's, that would be my legacy to make people feel special. All right, Joe, man, I, I love it. I appreciate the time and we uh, definitely will look forward to the book. Just look up book.com, go check it out. And thanks, man. as always, bro, we really appreciate the time. Thanks, Kyle. Appreciate you, man. Everybody, thanks for checking out this episode of the Value Adds Value podcast with our friend Joe Beckman. Uh, I know that we are going to pick up that book and get um, get into it and get after it. Um, so thrilled to to know a guy like this and to um, get a chance to talk with him. And and in these moments, man, when you just need some inspiration, you need somebody to talk positive into you, man. It just it just hit the right tone with us at the right time. So we hope you enjoyed it. Um, like I said, uh, if you want to learn more about Joe, joebeckman.com, uh, just look up book, go check it out. He's online everywhere. Um, and yeah, middle of October, the year is rolling. We hope you're safe. We hope you're happy. Um, and as always, please reach out to us. Let us know what we can do, um, to help you, to support you in your journey and, just make your day better. If we can do anything to make your day better, please reach out. But uh, yeah, we're going to sign off for this episode of Value Adds Value. Please uh, subscribe, share, anything you can do to help us out, and we will talk to you again soon. Welcome back to the Value Adds Value podcast with Kyle Krieger and Wilkie Law, where we're sharing inspiring stories of educators just like yourself, helping you to develop your craft and sharpen your tools to become the teacher your students deserve. This is the Value Adds Value podcast. Let's jump into this next episode.